All right, today we will be discussing the biblical role of government. And again, like I've mentioned before, our current day American government is extremely different than those governments we read about during the time of the Bible. The government of Old Testament Israel, uh, which was kind of a mixture of church and state, is not at all where we are now in America, which is largely a secular government. Um, Israel's time in exile in Babylon begins to kind of show this idea of living in a land under a pagan government, so a, a religious but not God-honoring government, and that continues on into the time of uh, the New Testament under Roman government. Uh, but the idea of secular or non-religious um, representative democracy, like we have here, is foreign to the Bible. Uh, so we not only submit to authority, but we have the authority to choose those who have authority over us in a way. Uh, so it's just not that way during the times of the Bible. But I will say, as we jump into this, we are much more like the New Testament early church under the rule of Rome than the Old Testament Israel under the rule of God. And our two primary passages today are going to come from the New Testament writings, which again is a closer system to that of our government, though still very different, as I mentioned. So the two passages I want to look at, you can turn here to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. And if you have uh, two bookmarks in your Bible, I've got two of them, kind of cool. Um, you might want to put one of those in each uh, because we'll kind of look back and forth at those. But Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. And uh, Romans 13 maybe will be the primary passage that we look at today. But uh, let's go ahead and read that. Romans 13 verse 1. We'll read 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Again, this is written by Paul to the Christian church under the authority of Roman pagan government. Okay, uh, Let's also read 1 Peter chapter 2, um, and we'll start in verse 13. Very similar idea here, different writer, Peter. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live or submit as people who are free, 
not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, before we go on to describe uh, the God-given roles of government, I want you to notice a couple of things from these passages. First of all, God establishes and maintains human government. Romans 13, 1 says, There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Okay? God establishes and maintains human government. Government, therefore, is not the enemy. The role human government plays is not the enemy. Rules or laws that they create are not the enemy. Authority, even secular authority, is not the enemy. Now, a lot of people have the attitude of just, hey, don't tell me what to do. Get your nose government out of my business. In fact, I've noticed the, the tendency of humanity, I don't know about you, but to, to strike against authority. We hate the idea of authority. So many people do. Um, I think that's why a lot of people reject God is because they don't want an authority over them. Uh, no matter what the institution, we struggle with the idea of authority, whether it's the authority of husbands in the home, the authority of the elders in the church, teachers in a classroom, bosses at work, or government officials in a nation. And I think we can probably acknowledge that we as Americans especially struggle against this idea of authority. But God has set up human authority structures like the government, um, and without them, there'd be chaos. So in a society, we'd call that anarchy, right? So God has set up and maintains human government, and it follows, secondly, that, that human authority is a derived and limited authority, or God's authority is preeminent. He rules over all. So a couple of passages that speak to this, Psalm 22, verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Daniel chapter four, verse 17 says, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. I don't know if you noticed in Romans 13, four, that the government leader is called a servant of God. How crazy is that? And in verse 6 of chapter 13, Romans, he's called a minister of God. Now, that doesn't mean the leader is consciously serving God, but that God is using them for his service because the authority is derived from him and he rules over all. So our secular world kind of operates like uh, we rule ourselves, right? Um, one commentator said, from a human perspective, rulers come to power through force or heredity or popular choice, but the transformed mind recognizes behind every such process is the hand of God. And like it says in Daniel 2, God removes kings and he sets up kings. I love Psalm 2. Love, love it. Listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth 
set themselves and the rulers take counsel together this the the power and the 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 rulers of this earth are are feeling powerful and that they are above all and that nobody can stop their authority and they take they set themselves against the lord and his anointed saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us and then psalm 2 verse 4 god's response to their audacity he who sits in the heavens laughs <laughs> he laughs at their authority um, they are operating and thinking that they rule themselves but human authority or government is established and maintained by God which means it is all subservient to God so what's the role of government in society really simply put as we read in the first Peter verse government is assigned to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good punish those who do evil praise those who do good first to punish those who do evil it also says something similar in romans 13 verses 3 and 4 for rulers are not a terror to good conduct it says but to bad and in verse 4 if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is god's servant and avenger who carries out god's wrath on the wrongdoer by the way the text doesn't actually say god's wrath but just simply wrath he's he the government is carrying out wrath on the wrongdoer he, they are to punish those who do evil ever since the fall there is a real evil being carried out by people in the world even evil on a very small scale like when somebody steals a candy bar right and so through the punishment of human government evil is is restrained or it's brought to some amount of justice Earlier I said, hey, government's not the enemy. And we see it's actually set up by God to mitigate the effects of evil in our world. And government has the God-given purpose to use force or to bear the sword, as it says in Romans, to punish those who do evil. So our government, rightly, in America, has a criminal justice system right we have law enforcement we have a authoritative judicial system we have corrections to to divvy out the penalties for wrongdoing and when the government does this they're carrying out their god-given responsibilities as opposed to us taking things into our own hands where paul tells us elsewhere in romans 12 we're not to avenge ourselves but we leave it to the wrath of god god who says vengeance is mine i will repay one of the the ways i think he repays this passage romans 13 comes just after that is through his ordained institution of government that begins to mitigate the evil in our world so to punish those who do evil that's a role of government and then secondly to praise those who do good uh, that's what first peter said romans 13 3 the end of the verse says do what is good and you will receive his the government's approval now um, three ways I thought of that could happen. You receive the government's approval. Uh, first of all, not being punished is kind of a way of being praised or approved, right? Like I'm not in prison, and so uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I have the approval of the government. Um, one commentator also said the Romans would erect statues and grant privileges or commend in other ways those who helped the community. So if somebody did something good, the government would would try to honor that person even with a statue or something or they'd get some kind of special privileges um, a modern way maybe that we think about this is incentivizing good behavior that's a good government practice so 
if you give money, part of your income to a charity, you can pay less taxes. We're honoring the good that you've done by giving you more to keep. So those two roles are the explicit roles of secular government in the Bible, to punish and to praise. Now, can the government go beyond those, those roles that we read about in Peter? What about national defense? Should the government protect us from a foreign invader? What about public health and safety, um, protection from amoral things like, like COVID? Should the government step in there? What about preservation of the environment? Should the government have a hand in that? What about public services, education, grade school? What about the creation of currency? Like, should we have money that the, that the government runs? What about infrastructure? Is it good that they're involved in building roads? What about financial stability programs like social security and welfare? All of these things, which may go more specifically or beyond the um, the government uh, role of, of uh, punishing and uh, praising, I think we as Christians and as submitted to God's word can differ in opinion on even very significantly. And I think we should, with a lot of grace, be willing to disagree on what the government provides outside of this general idea of punishing those who do evil and praising those who do good. Is it good or is it okay for the government to provide some public education, for instance? Well, sure. Uh, a lot of people would argue, yeah, that's good. Is it good for them to provide health and financial assistance to people who genuinely have need? Sure, that's good. Is it good that the government provides and maintains our national parks? I think a lot of us would say, yes, that's good. We're happy to have Yosemite and you can't just do anything that you want in that area. Is it good that the government provides roads for us? Absolutely. That seems to be good things. Is the government explicitly set up by God to provide these things? I don't think you can argue that, but does it mean that the government should not provide those things? Well, not necessarily. And I think in grace, we can disagree on those things, even as believers. Um, I would give you a couple of cautions as we talk about increased responsibilities of the government. Uh, first of all, a caution that secular government doesn't always know what evil and good is, right? And so you might argue, since in America we have a choice of who we elect, it would be better to put fewer things in the hands of a secular government than, than more, uh, because they oftentimes have struggle to know what is good and what's evil. Uh, secondly, government programs sometimes can become an excuse for the church and for Christians and others to become kind of hands-off and doing good themselves. Well, I don't want to help the poor. That's a bother to me, so that's what the government is supposed to do. Uh, my friend Christian Burkhart, in a paper he wrote called Christians in Politics, says this, My concern is that the more Christians look to the government to carry out the justice work that God has called us to do, the more difficult and less essential it becomes for us to do it. I'm not saying that Christians should not support our government's attempts to do good and care for the vulnerable, but we must be aware of the temptation to start thinking of justice and charity work as the primarily government work rather than gospel work, something that we engage in by campaigning and voting rather than by our own sacrificial service. 
Another perspective on this comes from Dr. Art Lindsley. He points out how in the first Peter passage in chapter 2, verse 14, the government is, is given the task to praise those who do good, not necessarily to do good themselves. They praise those who are doing good. They, they reward that. They promote that. But they aren't the actual ones who are providing that good service. That's just a perspective there. Is it wrong for human government to decide not just to praise those who do good, but to do some good themselves? Well, no. But let's not hand over the responsibility just to get out of it ourselves is kind of the warning of, of increased government involvement. And then thirdly, it's just a misconception that as we as Christians know, that government can solve the problems of evil. God uses the government, as we said, to mitigate evil and to keep it from kind of completely overrunning the world. But the church should shine forth as proclaiming the only real eternal solution to the ills of the world in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom where goodness and justice prevail. So the government is very limited, I think we have to acknowledge, in what it can effectively accomplish. And we can't expect it to do more than what God has installed it to do. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but as we um, look at these passages, it kind of feels like we're looking at it in a backwards way, because these passages aren't written directly to tell governing authorities, here's how you should operate. Now, people in government positions, especially Christians in government positions, should take heed of these passages, and they should make sure that they're operating according to the way that God intends for them to operate, and they should understand from these passages, hey, I'm meant to serve the good, not serve myself. But these passages are speaking more to us, the non-authorities, most of us, the non-government officials, and it's speaking to how we are to live rightly under these governing authorities, right? Our main biblical concern and the concern of these passages isn't to run government biblically, though in a democracy we can, we can vote for those people that we think are going to do that, but our concern and the concern of these passages is how to live, how God wants us to live underneath of this government structure. And so how are we to do that? I think that's what the passages speak more to. I know that's not what our topic was, but let's, let's go there for a minute. I'll give you three words. Submit honor and pray. Submit, honor, and pray. We are very clearly to submit to our governing authorities, to be subject to, to not resist, or simply put, to, to do what they say. Paul gives a reason in 13.5, Romans 13.5, for that obedience. One, we obey or we, we submit, we do what we say because we fear or, or we're wanting to avoid wrath and punishment, the punishment of the government. And we, we fear that earthly authority because we fear divine authority for whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to receive a penalty for that. So I do what they say. But more than that, Paul goes on to say, we obey, we submit as a matter of conscience. You see that in verse 5? One must be in subjection, not only to avoid wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And Peter says something in his passage, like, it, because it's the will of God. That's why you do it. It's, it's God's will. So you don't just pay your taxes, for instance, because you don't want to get caught not paying your taxes and get 
penalized for it. You do it because in so doing, you are honoring God. Think of that the next time you're filing your taxes. I'm, I'm doing this as a way to submit to God's system and in a way to honor God. Um, Peter gives a kind of third reason for obedience. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So um, it, as we're following the laws, we're being law-abiding citizens, submitting to governing authorities, our opponents, um, the opponents to the gospel, they won't be able to contend that we are lawless, immoral people um, when we're generally as a way of life submissive to the laws of the land. So that's another reason to submit. Um, as I said in the beginning, a lot of people hate the idea of authority. A lot of people hate this idea of submission. I at, hate, at times hate the idea of submission. But there's looking at these passages, there's no way around it. We haven't even mentioned Titus, chapter 3, verse 1, that says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. Ew. So we may disagree on the services the government should provide beyond just this general idea of punishing and praising. But if the authorities put something in place, we are to submit. Even Jesus submitted to governing authorities. You remember that? He, and he exemplifies kind of this perfect balance of acknowledging the one who's ultimately in control, but also submitting to the authorities that that ultimate authority has appointed. In John chapter 19, really uh, important verse when, when Pilate has said in verse 10, do you know that I have authority, Jesus, to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus answers, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So Pilate, your authority is, has been given to you by God. You don't have any authority except that which is derived from him. And then Jesus went on and submitted to Pilate's authority thereby submitting to the authority of the Father. Even Jesus submitted to governing authorities. So that's the first call that we have to submit. Secondly, we're called to honor. You see that in both of those passages, Romans 13, 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Those um, are probably two different types of taxes, revenue taxes. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And the idea is that because God has installed these leaders, that makes them worthy of honor. And then in Peter, 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor. I'm just going to let that word speak for itself, and I'll let the Holy Spirit just kind of do his work on your hearts right now. Honor the emperor. Honor your governing authorities. Do you do that? Submit, honor, thirdly, and quickly just pray. Um, first Timothy, first of all, then he says, Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then first on the list in verse two is for kings and all who are in high positions. We are to pray for those who are over us, including our governing authorities. Next week, it's the first Wednesday of the month, and so I'd love for our time, some of our time anyway, to be focused on praying for our leaders so that we can practice this uh, command. So how does the Bible command that we interact with government? Submit, honor, pray. Now you may have noticed 
there's one other thing that I have left out of this topic, and I know you've been dying to say something like this. Wait a second. We don't have to submit to the government unconditionally. What if they tell me to do something that conflicts with what God tells me? Okay, I know you're feeling that. I know that that has been a thought in all of your minds. You are right that if our government commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, we don't submit. And we obey God rather than obeying men. But I wonder if these scenarios happen less often than we think or are looking for. And shouldn't we see them as an exception to the rule? Um, I read uh, a commentator, Douglas Moo, who says this, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, one through seven is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. At first glance and taken on its own, this passage seems to require that Christians always, in whatever situation, obey whatever their governmental leaders tell them to do. Almost all Christians recoil from this conclusion. And I would add, anybody recoils from that kind of conclusion, that we would, as a general rule, submit to what an authority tells us to do. Our knee-jerk reaction, as I was saying, is, is, is what about the exceptions? What about if they ask me to do something that I'm not supposed to do? But I would say, not what about the exceptions, but what about the rule? We might think that, well, disobedience should happen often, especially, gosh, under our godless government. But we have very few examples in scripture of civil disobedience, even under governments that were arguably even more corrupt in the Bible. So we do have some examples of it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for refusing to bow down before an image of the king, to, to worship an image. I mean, if that's not clear that we shouldn't participate in that, I don't know what is. It's very, very obvious. Daniel refuses to give up praying to the Lord, right? Well, obviously we're commanded to do that. Um, one that people don't think about, the Hebrew midwives, they disobey the king of Egypt when he says, uh, or they decide to let the male children live when he had said to kill them. So again, don't kill your, don't murder your babies. That's something that, you know, we should go against what the king had said. Um, and then Peter and John in the New Testament, the book of Acts, they refuse to stop speaking in Jesus' name, even though the officials have told them to do so. Beyond those, and, and these are, like rare exceptions, the general rule throughout scripture towards authority is obey, submit to, be subject to, don't resist. Remember, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And get this, even if the government doesn't live up to its God-given role or roles, we, citizens, are still called to fulfill ours. And isn't that a case, the case with a lot of different topics? Well, we think, well, they didn't do their part. Well, it doesn't matter. Like Jesus tells Peter, you follow me. You do what I have called you to do. Um, in the very next verses, after that, the first Peter passage that talks about submitting to governing authorities, it goes on to say, 1 Peter 2.18, servants, in a similar way, be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So regardless of what they are doing, those people in authority, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, you have a role. What you are called to do is to be subject to them. And then it goes on to say in the next section, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. So in our modern American government, we can legally protest, we have a vote, but we are still called to submit as the overarching rule, regardless of how great the government is doing, regardless of if they are holding up their end of the bargain, their God-given role as governing authorities. And again, I would just ask you to consider that word as you're thinking through this honor or as mentioned in the passages I just read, it's called respect. So governing authorities are established by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And we, under their authority, are called to submit, honor, and pray. And ultimately, governing authorities have to answer to the God who installed them for how they ruled. And we have to answer to God for how we submitted honored and prayed for their God-given rule. So let's do that because we submit to and honor our ultimate authority, God himself.